This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Week four of our series, and we're finishing up our series today called Pray and Stand in There. We're going to re- receive communion at the end of the message today as a church family. Um, but as we've been talking about prayer for the last four weeks, the premise of this series is that all of us in life, just normal busyness of life, um, it, we, we have a lot of stuff to deal with, whether it's stress or just normal everyday commuting or whatever goes on in our lives. And the, the culture offers us a lot of different ways to deal with life. That we can just be, you know, we can go to this grocery store and eat our favorite sugary food and think somehow that's going to fix things for us. Or we can spend hours on our phone or we can medicate our lives both legally and illegally to try to deal with the stress of life. And then we can just complain. Uh, We can just complain about everything that's going on. We can just despair and just sort of look at life and think that it's hopeless um, and that it's never going to change. And then the worst thing that we can do that I would say is just quit, give up. And think that nothing is ever going to be different in our lives. But the premise of this series is instead of doing all of those things, we should be praying. And we have these cards uh, made. On the front it has the graphic of the series. And on the back it just has some lines. And the idea is that you would write some things down that for you specific to your life that you would remind yourselves to be praying for. Now if you didn't get one of these, the ushers have a few of these. um, Or if you lost yours. If you just raise your hand. Uh, better late than never last week of the series is good to get a card Um, and as we have been discussing different things throughout the series um, once again and we're going to be discussing some things today um, things specific to you to remind you to pray instead of worrying instead of being afraid instead of um, medicating uh, that you would remind yourself wherever your place of prayer is is beside your bed if it's somewhere else uh, put this card there with the things that you've written on Uh, people to pray for. You should put that on the card as well. So first week, we talked about um, the idea that all praying, all effective praying, starts with God, the will of God. That God hears us when we pray according to his will. And we know when he hears us, when he pray, that we have the petitions we desire him. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. So we pray according to the character and nature and will of God. We don't start out praying just with the things that I want. We start out with knowing what want what god has for us and what he's desiring for us and then we align ourselves we align our asking with what he says we can have and so that's what we talked about the first week and then uh the second week we talked about praying for wisdom that all of us have this thing in common where we all should want and desire the mind and heart of god for our lives um and then there were some scriptures that went along with that to be able to pray for wisdom last week we talked about praying for others how we need two things specific to praying for other people. We need to persevere because we know people don't change overnight just like we don't change overnight. So we need to persevere in prayer. In other words, don't quit, don't give up. And then we also need faith. That when we pray, the scripture says that we should pray in faith. Pray putting our faith in God. Um, so if you missed any of those messages, they're all available online or through the church app or on our podcast. And then today we're just going to be talking about how the antidote for fear in our lives is prayer. But let's look at a few verses that we've been looking at every week to see what the scripture says about prayer. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says this, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. 
Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So we, th- we see these three encouragements in the Scripture. Pray without ceasing, praying at all times, and continuing steadfastly in prayer. So it should be a constant in our lives as it relates to talking to God. And that's what prayer is. Prayer is talking to God, speaking to God, having a dialogue with our Father. And it shouldn't be a hard thing. It should be something that we enjoy. When we think about talking to the people that we love, it's not a hard thing. It's not, oh, if I love this person, I actually want to talk to them. I want to spend time with them. That's what prayer is. And so if we're not enjoying prayer, we're not doing it right. But it's this constant nature of prayer that the vitality of our relationship with God is prayer, is that constant communication with God. Now, do these verses mean I can't do anything else? I have to pray. I can't work my job. I can't be a good parent. I can't do this and that and the other because I have to pray. The scripture tells me that I have to constantly be praying. Does it really mean that or is it meaning that we would maintain an attitude of prayer? That it would be something that we would always have these open channels that I would be mentioning prayers to God all of the time. Um, as I see something, as something comes up in my heart, as something pops up in the middle of the day, somebody, some old friend that I think about, oh, I'm going to pray for that person. Yes, we should have time set aside for prayer, but it should be something that we always discuss with God. If we find ourselves running into something, running into a difficulty, running into a frustration, we should always be talking to God first, that we would come to God in prayer, not have prayer as a last resort, but have prayer as a first response. Not a spare tire, but it is always the thing that we are involving God in every aspect of our lives. So we're going to be talking about fear today, something that we all face at different ages and stages of life. The fears that we will experience and run into will be different, but the scripture has um, some things to say as it relates to us dealing with fear. A famous portion of scripture here in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And as we mentioned earlier um, in this series, that peace is a byproduct of wisdom, but peace is also a byproduct of just spending time with God in prayer. And specific to the area of anxiety, specific to the area of being fearful about our future, being fearful about the unknown, being fearful, you know, as we were asking some of the students, you know, going into high school uh, for the very first time. Could anyone remember your first day of grade nine? You know, you thought you were going to get attacked. You thought they were going to take you and put your head in the toilet. You didn't know what was going to happen your first day of high school. And, And life is like that. There is this next stage of life, whatever stage of life that it is, because it is unknown, we can be afraid. We can be afraid because of uncertainty. This next uh, stage of parenting, this next stage of marriage, uh, whatever career choices or career changes uh, you might be making, or if you're looking to own a business or whatever the case may be, that all of these things out in front of us could cause us anxiety, could cause us fear. Now, there's a positive side of fear um, that keeps us safe, 
we're not so much discussing that part uh, today. You know, the fear, like a, a couple different times or many different times so far um, that we've been in this building, have had to go on the roof, you know, with different contractors and just a bunch of different stuff. And I, I've gone up into the roof with, with a bunch of people. And every time I get to the edge of the roof, fear kicks in. But it's a good type of fear because gravity has an effect on us all. Right? And so when we get, when we get close to the edge of something that's very high, fear kicks in and then wisdom should also kick in. And I'm not going to just skip around the edge of a high building. You know, has anyone ever bid um, to the CN Tower where they have the glass floor? That's the stupidest thing ever. I hate that thing. You know, down there, and there's a sign that has been tested by elephants. And I'm thinking, I don't care if it's been tested by whatever. This could be the day that the glass breaks through. And I don't want to be on the glass. And so my body rejects it. Everybody's, oh, you're just afraid. Yeah, it's good fear. I'm, I'm wise right now. And everybody's on the glass. Like, I'm thinking, why? Why are we doing this right now? So in that respect, fear keeps us safe. So I'm not talking about that good use of fear. And then also fear is described in scripture as it relates that we should fear God. Now that word fear, as it relates to our relationship with God, just means reverence, that we should honor God, that we should reverence God in our lives with worship, with giving, all these different ways, that we should be in awe of who God is. That's what, uh, when the scripture says that we should fear the Lord, that's what that means. It's not that we should cower in fear but we should be honoring God. But the negative type of fear is fear that lingers. Fear that just sort of grips us. Anxiety about the future, worry about the future, that it just doesn't let go of our mind, that there's so much uncertainty and I'm so nervous about so many things that I can't even sleep at night. I'm so nervous about my kids, and I'm so nervous about the economy, and I'm so nervous about this, and I'm anxious about this situation. This is the type of thing that the scripture says that we shouldn't be anxious, actually, about anything. Instead of being anxious, we should pray. That we should be talking to God about the fears that we are experiencing. That we should be invoking and asking for God's power and for his wisdom and his ways in our lives so that we can actually not be afraid? Is it actually possible for us to not live an anxious life? Not that we're going to have to face things sometimes that are unknown and uncertainty because always in, in one sense, the future is uncertain. Because we don't have certainties about so many different things, we could just live in an anxious, anxious place. But the scripture tells us emphatically and, and specifically that we shouldn't be anxious about anything. So we're going to look at a psalm here in the Old Testament that is somebody's journey through a fearful situation. In fact, it's King David. And it's found over in Psalm 3. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over there. And in this psalm, the specific scenario um, that David is going to be writing about is when his son, Absalom, is trying to depose him as king. So he's trying to overthrow the government, as it were, and he's gathered a bunch of people, and David is on the run, and there's a bunch of people chasing him, trying to kill him. And he's, he's faced this treason, not just from anybody, but from his own son. Just a very terrible circumstance. And then that is the context that we see of this psalm that David is writing. And it's pretty honest and it's pretty raw. We're going to read it here together. Psalm 3, verse 1 says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many 
are rising against me. And do you ever feel like that sometimes? You know, this comes up, and then another thing comes up, and then another thing comes up, and you actually hear yourself saying, not another thing! Because sometimes so many circumstances pop up in different areas of our lives that it just, it just becomes too many things to handle, and then sometimes it can be overwhelming. And specifically, David is just having thousands of people literally coming against him, looking for him, trying to kill him. How many are my foes? Many are rising against me. And then, he, and then in verse 2, it says, As many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And Salah, that just means stop and think about that. And then he's got a bunch of people, not only does he have bad circumstances, that he's got a bunch of people telling him, don't worry about it, it's over for you. It's actually really bad. There's no salvation for you. Your situation is too far gone. It is too difficult. It is too impossible. There's no salvation for your soul. You don't need any friends like that, by the way. You don't need any friends telling you to quit or it's over or give up. We don't need anybody uh, like that in our lives speaking those things that we should hear those things. So Paul, I mean, sorry, David has got all of this against him. He's got circumstances, he's got people, and then he's got people telling him to give up and quit. But David interrupts all of that in verse 3. He says this, but you, O Lord, now that's a great start to interrupt any of your fears any of your anxious heart and mind. But you, O Lord, this is going on and this is going on. David says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill, Salah. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. Even in the middle of thousands of people trying to kill him and everybody telling him to quit, in the middle of that circumstance, what does it say? That David was still able to lie down and go to sleep. That he was still able to find the peace of God. The circumstances hadn't changed, but he was able to find peace in the middle of the mess. And he found it in God. But you, O Lord... Anxiousness can keep you up at night. But here in God, David found sleep. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Listen to verse 7, gets a little bit angry. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Has anyone ever wanted to pray that one? (laughs) Verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing beyond your people. Let's go back to verse 3. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. Now, if you've ever seen any movies where uh, people are fighting with swords, you know, before all of the gun movies came around, there was the sword movies. And generally, guys that were fighting with swords, they had a shield as well. Sometimes there was a, a circular shield, sort of a smaller shield, so they could be mobile in battle, and so they would strike with the sword and they would block with the shield. But then there's different times where you see different armies with a shield that's like a full-size door that can, that can cover somebody's body. And it's not just flat, it's actually rounded on the side, so it almost covers the person fully. And then they would, when they would put their shields side by side, they could move forward and they could actually push a whole army back by just pushing against their shields. 
But the scripture is saying that the Lord is our shield. That the, it says this, that you are a shield about me or around me. That in the middle of the thousands of circumstances, seemingly thousands of circumstances, that David is saying, God, you are my shield. So as I go forward in life, God, you are with me. And when we have that type of shield, we can keep going forward. And that is what David is saying he is doing in his life. Even those thousands of people coming against him, he's saying God is my shield. That God is protecting him in the midst of the circumstances that should cause us to be afraid. Doesn't mean that everything's going to change tomorrow, but I don't have to be afraid because the Lord is my shield. And I can keep going forward behind the shield of God. This is what David is reminding himself of in prayer. And then what is the other thing he, he says? He says, my glory and the lifter of my head. Glory just means the goodness of God. The lifter of my head. For those of you parents out there, you know sometimes your, your children get down or they get frustrated and they go, go through a bunch of things and this is against me and this. And they start to get their head down and they're uh, talking negative. And what good parents should do in the middle of that circumstance, and what I have done many times, is you interrupt all of that and you say, hey, hey, look at me. You're going to be okay. You are going to be fine. You can do this. See, and this is what God does to us. He lifts our head. And this is something we were singing about earlier in the service, that we are sons and daughters of God. And when we get down in the mouth, and when we get focused on the circumstances, and this is against me, and this is against me, and the world is against me, God says, and he lifts our head. He says, hey, listen, stop. Look at me. God says, you are my son and my daughter. You are going to be okay. You are going to make it through. You're going to make it through the thousands and the ten thousands of whatever comes your way. I am your shield. And this is what David is reminding himself of in the time of prayer, in the midst of the circumstances that can cause you to be afraid. There's always going to be opportunities to fear. Always, always, always. But the question is, we're not going to focus on the things that make us afraid. We're going to focus on this fact that God is my shield and he surrounds me. He is the glory and the lifter of my head. He's reminding me of who I am in him. Even though David has these terrible circumstances. At the end of the thing, at the end of this whole psalm, he says in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Now this word salvation for us, um, it's a covenant word. And God makes a covenant with us. You know, we have the old covenant and the new covenant in the scriptures. And this idea of salvation comes from the idea of covenant, not contract. You know, we write contracts with people that are maybe doing work in our house or something, and we sign something. A covenant goes way beyond contract. Let me just give you a a couple definitions here so you can see the differences between contracts and covenant. Contracts are limited uh, by the terms of the exchange of property. This is yours and that is mine. While covenants involve an exchange of life, I am yours and you are mine. 
So contracts set, uh, set the terms where we keep everything separate. Covenant is all about coming together. And that when you have a covenant, the other person that you're cutting covenant with, you get their strengths and vice versa. We give our lives to each other. That's what a covenant says. Contracts are based on profit and self-interest. Well, covenants call for self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. Does this sound anything like Jesus? That he, what does he do? He gives us sacrificial love. Jesus goes to the cross because he wants to know because he's sacrificing himself based on love for us. He is creating a covenant with us. Contracts are temporary, while covenant bonds are permanent, even intergenerational. Not just something that ends really easily, but covenants go on and on. A contract is an arrangement in human affairs that may be reinforced by swearing a covenant in order to add a more binding dimension of the divine. And this is why marriage, Christian marriage, is not a contract. It is a covenant. We are asking God. We're asking the third party of God, a divine member in our marriage. So I'm not just writing a contract with my wife. They, we actually have a covenant that we have given our lives to each other. And then what, when are we going to do it? We're going to do it in public and we're going to ask God's blessing. That's what marriage is all about, that we're bringing the divine in to our relationships. Not just a contract. And we see this take place in the Old, the old Covenant uh, with Abraham. Before he became Abraham, he was Abram. And we remember his story that God had called him out from his hometown, from his family. And there was two things that God had promised to Abram. He said he was going to have a family. He was going to have a really big family that, that we'd look up in the stars and we couldn't count all, how many children that he would have. But then he would also have a place for that family. So he's going to have people, and then he was going to have land. So God had called him out, and a little bit of time had gone by, and still neither of these things were happening. He didn't have any children yet, and he didn't have a place to have his family. Let's read about it here in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Does this sound familiar? He says, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So he called him out. He said, you're going to have land. You're going to have children, but still nothing. Verse 8. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The things that you said you promised me, how am I supposed to know that I'm going to see these things? Verse 9. He said to him, talking about God, bring me a heifer three years old. So he says to him, how am I going to know? And God says, bring me a cow. It's a little bit blind to us in our day and age, in our culture. What is God trying to say? Because Abram's asking him this question, and then God is answering very strangely. Verse 9 said, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Once again, this is super blind to us. But in the, middle, in the Middle East in this time, the way families or tribes or groups would come together, that they would cut a covenant with each other. And they would come together and they would both sacrifice 
uh, their best animals and they would cut their best animals. And what they would do is that they would then as each party would send, each family would send a person and they would walk together through the cut pieces. In other words, saying, I am cutting a covenant with you. And it's also representative of this idea that saying, I am so committed to you that if I break this covenant, I'm going to be like one of these animals. I'm committing to death to not break this covenant with you. So God was stepping into this time, in this place, and making a commitment to Abraham that he would understand that these groups and these families and tribes would come together and make a covenant But here God is saying to Abram, I am going to make a covenant with you. He's speaking the language that Abram speaks. Let's continue reading verse 17. It says, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, a covenant with Abram. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the Egypt to the great river and the river Euphrates. He was making a covenant. He was committing himself to Abram. Now, could we think of any other person? We already mentioned it. We already, the secret is out. Who else has cut a covenant with us? Jesus. Jesus came. And he sacrificed himself. And a covenant was cut between man and God through Jesus. An everlasting covenant. Here is a covenant that God is showing, hey, I am committed to you. And then we have a covenant in Jesus. Let's read about it here in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is the mediator. He's the go-between of a new covenant. In the Old Testament, what are they doing? They're sacrificing animals. And they're, they're doing this. And they're sacrificing this. And they're sacrificing something else. But in the new covenant, the scripture says we have a better covenant based on better promises. Why is it a better covenant in the New Testament, in the new covenant? It's because Jesus came, that God came in Christ and sacrificed himself. And said in the cutting of the covenant, I am committed to you eternally. Forever. The covenant does not break. And when does eternity start? Eternity starts right now. It's not something after we die. Eternity is going on right now. That God has committed himself to you in Christ. And do we think that God can keep his word? We know we're going to struggle sometimes to keep our word because we're human and our friends and our business partners and all these different people that have broke their word to us. But God cuts a covenant in Christ, an eternal covenant. God's word is forever settled in heaven. He does not change. He is committed to you. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So in the new covenant, we start with God's grace. 
that all of our sins are washed away, all of our past is gone, and we have, an, we have a covenant with God that God has cut himself in Christ. And he has given us what? Eternal promises. So that I don't have to be afraid because God is committed to me. Not because I asked him to be committed to me, but because of his nature and his character and his love for us. He has commit himself eternally to mankind in Christ so that I don't have to be afraid because God has cut a covenant with me in Christ. I don't have to be nervous about the uncertainty. I don't have to be nervous about this next season of life. I don't have to be nervous about grade nine. I don't have to be nervous about this new career venture I'm taking. Why? Because God is eternally committed to me and he is my shield. And so I can go forward no matter what it looks like, no matter how scary it looks out in front of me. I can look over the shield and see all that stuff and I can duck down behind it and I can have a smile on my face because God is my shield and he surrounds me. And he has committed himself to me. So I don't have to be afraid. I am his child. In life, I don't have to be afraid. In death, I don't have to be afraid. What else is there? I don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. He doesn't want us to live anxious lives. He wants us to come to him in prayer. The one who has cut a covenant with us. The one who has sacrificially loved me, given himself for me. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be nervous. I don't have to be anxious. I can lie down and go to sleep at night because I know that God has committed himself to me because of his own nature and his own character and his own goodness and his own faithfulness. Last verse, and then we're going to have communion together. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And because he first loved me, don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. I just picture in my mind, you know, one time I was walking my dog. She's not, she's kind of small, but her teeth get stuck in her face. So she looks like she's growling when she's not growling. And there's this child who was nervous to see my dog. And then all of a sudden she ran behind her dad's leg. And then she reached out to the dog. She wasn't afraid anymore because she knew her dad was there. How much more should we not be afraid of life? The giver of life, the one who is our shield. I don't have to be afraid of what's in front of me, regardless if I know what it is or not, regardless of uncertainty or not. I don't have to be afraid 
because the one who loves me cut a covenant with me. Let's celebrate that this morning. We invite you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.